Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. We're going to be in Psalm 23 again, so if you wouldn't mind, open your copy of Scripture to that wonderful text of the Bible. I was thinking about this week, the whole picture of, uh, of preparation and, and meeting needs and I was thinking about how to illustrate that as we walked into worship service, and some of you will get this illustration. The best athletes uh, are those who anticipate what's going to happen next. And if you're a quarterback, uh, you're not just a great quarterback because you can uh, hit an open man. You're a great quarterback because you can anticipate where the opening is going to be and throw the ball to where it goes. My boys are playing soccer, and and I've got I've got a son who plays goalie, and Playing goalie means you've got to anticipate where that ball is going to be and move toward it. Playing defense, my other son, being able to anticipate and move with the, the ball, that, that's what makes a good athlete, right? And we see that in all sort of facets of life. Those who anticipate, those who know what's going to happen next, those are the ones that, that excel in life. You see that in, in terms of meeting needs as well. You know, there are some folks that you have in your life that if you called them up and said, man, I'm going through, going through this, I really need some help, they'd be there. They'd be there. And, and you know you can count on them. But you know who you really love? You love the people that are going to show up at your door, say, I know you need something, before you even ask. The kind of people that anticipate needs. Some of you have moms or grandparents or spouses like that. My mom was like that. She just... You know, before I knew I was hungry, there was food on the table. Before I knew I was thirsty, there was, there was something to, to drink. My wife is that way. In anticipation, preparation for the needs of my children and our family, it, those are the people that we, we really count on are the ones that provide for us before we even ask, before we even know there's a need. And that's really, in a nutshell, the picture of Psalm 23, verse 2. We're going to read through this psalm again. We'll do that for six weeks. And then we'll focus on Psalm 23, verse 2 today in our study. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Beautiful psalm. I would encourage you over the next days and weeks to memorize it, meditate on it, and pray through it. Now, I'm going to talk about some promises that are made here in this text. I shall not want is applied in verse 2 that he leads me beside still waters, he causes me to lie down in green pastures. But let me make this qualification before we get too far along in our sermon. This promise of provision and protection is made to those who know God. God isn't making a blanket promise to every person living on planet Earth. Christian, what that means for you is that if you have entered into a relationship with the living Savior, He is your shepherd and He is inviting you to a day-by-day, moment-by-moment experience of being in relationship with Him where He promises to provide for you. That is something we can take to heart as Christians. And too many Christians are leaving that out of their daily experience. They're missing out on what God has promised. 
Psalm 23 invites us back into experience what God promises to us. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not sure what we're talking about in Psalm 23 and you're not sure why you're here. Let me just say this. The experience of the provision of a Savior only happens in relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'll make a specific application and invitation to you as we close out our sermon. So there are two affirmations that we draw from the text and then several applications that flow out of that for us as Christ followers. Affirmation number one is this. The shepherd provides for his sheep because he knows the needs of his sheep. Our Father, our Savior, our Shepherd knows what we need. And he anticipates our need and he creates a situation in our lives where he meets that need. In pastures green. Pastures, it's places of grassy area. And the green idea is the fresh vegetation. So it's a beautiful picture. I've entitled this sermon, Good News from Green Pastures. We all long for those green pastures. We want those types of filling, nutritious places in our lives. That's what we long for. And then the verb there is, he makes me lie down. In the King James Version, as many of you have memorized, maybe Psalm 23, he maketh me to lie down. Or ESV, he makes me to lie down. Now, if we pull that word out of context and use it in terms of, I'm made to do this, or he makes me to do that, then it becomes the sense of something that's maybe forced. But that's not the sense of the text. The emphasis isn't on that God makes us. In the Hebrew language, the subject, the, the object, and the action are all rolled up in the verb here. He causes me to lie down. And the sense in the verb is that it is a causative, meaning that the, the person who's doing the work, that's God, our shepherd, is causing us to be in a situation where we will lie down. And so it's not forced lying down, it is bringing about a certain set of situations so that a sheep will lie down. That's the picture. It's the imagery here in the text. The reason that that matters is because a shepherd knows what it means for a sheep to lie down. Uh, One writer put it this way, he said, Sheep will only lie down if they've had plenty to eat, have quenched their thirst, are not threatened by any wild animal, or disturbed by biting insects. In other words, sheep don't just automatically lie down to rest. They lie down to rest after their bellies are full, after they've had a drink, after they don't have any other sense of being disturbed going on around them in life. Otherwise, they won't lie down. So the picture is that the shepherd knows what it takes for a sheep to be able to rest. The shepherd knows the conditions that need to be met in order for the sheep to find rest and repose, and he provides that in the life of the sheep. That's the picture. That's the imagery that's found here in the text. Now, what, is it, what does it take for that to take place? Well, it takes green pastures. Now, as we think about green pastures here in Wilkes County, North Carolina, we can thank our chickens for all the green pastures that are around here in Wilkes. And you think about these deep, green, grassy fields, right? That's our image of green pastures. But in the Middle East, that wasn't the the situation. Uh, David's David's shepherding of the sheep in the Middle East would not have included green pastures all the time. One, one, uh, One writer, Kenneth Bailey, puts it this way. He says, In a good year in the Holy Land, rains begin in November and usually conclude by the end of February. It takes some time for the parched earth to produce green pastures. Having watched this cycle for 30 winters in Lebanon and Bethlehem, I know that green pastures are available for not more than three months a year. The other nine to ten months, the pastures are brown. 
So green pastures are not the norm. So the picture that David is painting here is that his shepherd knows where they are and makes sure he finds that place uh, of, of food. If we're thinking about our fields today, all you have to do is put sheep out and lead them from one patch to another patch. But in the ancient Middle East, they had to go from foraging area to foraging area. They had to walk those paths of righteousness we'll look at in verse 3 to next week. They had to go different places to find enough places for the sheep to be able to eat. So there's a picture of planning and preparation that we're going to explore here in a little bit. Philip Keller puts it this way. He says, Green pastures were the result of clearing rough, rocky land, tearing out brush and roots and stumps, deep plowing and careful soil preparation, seeding and planting special grains and legumes, irrigating with water, husbanding with care the crops of forage that would feed the flocks. In other words, the shepherd is the one who knows our needs, and he creates the situation so that we can find a place of rest. It's a beautiful picture for what it is that our shepherd does. The second affirmation that flows out of the text is the next phrase, he leads me beside still waters. The shepherd leads his sheep because he knows what is best for his sheep. Our God leads us, he provides for us, he gives us direction. Sheep get their water from three primary sources. Many sheep can survive for a long period of time just eating grass with heavy dew on it. So eating in the, in the twilight hours just before dawn or eating in the early morning hours. Or, or they drink from still-moving streams, like, like not fast-paced streams. We'll talk about that in a second. Or they drink from wells or springs that, where the shepherd has to draw the water and provide for the sheep. Sheep are odd creatures, by the way. Um, and, and it is both complementary and critical that the Bible compares God's people to sheep. Sheep are valuable and vulnerable. They're vulnerable because they have lots of needs. In other words, if you take a group of sheep, flock of sheep, and you bring them to a fast-moving stream, they'll spread out as far as they can go so that every sheep has a chance to drink from like a still pool or an eddy that, that's made its way on the edges of the stream because they won't drink from fast-flowing waters. They just won't do it. They're picky. Anybody in here know anybody who's picky? If you're a parent, there you go, amen. If you're a, if you're a parent, you know what it's like to have a picky child. I can't eat that because it touched the other thing on my plate. I'm not going to eat that because it's green and good for me. It doesn't have enough carbs or sugar in it. Everybody knows what what it's like to be around someone who's picky. Sheep are picky. And yet the shepherd knows that for the sheep to have value to him, grow healthy and strong, and knows that because the sheep are vulnerable, it doesn't matter whether it's bad or good for the sheep to drink out of fast-moving streams, they won't do it. They won't survive if they don't have a place to drink where, where they can sufficiently quench their thirst. So the shepherd does what? He leads them. And you've got to think about this. You know, this, the, the, sheep, the, the, the sheep shepherding places where the sheep grazed in the ancient Middle East. 3,000 years ago when David was reflecting on and pinning these thoughts, it's not like he had this massive field where the, there's a stream that flowed through all the time. He had to take them in different places. You know, Monday it may have been up on the plateau. Tuesday it may have been another place. Wednesday it was another place. So he had to know where to go and he had to lead the sheep not only where they could eat enough, but where they could come back and have enough water. 
that there's a picture in in the shepherds in the shepherd's picture here in this text where he knew where they needed to go and he led them faithfully and consistently exactly where they needed. What what we discovered and I thought when I was preaching through Psalm 23 that verse 2 would be the verse where I talked about the sheep. But the sheep are not the focus of verse 2. The sheep aren't the ones that are active in verse 2. There are applications we can draw from this. But listen, what we have here in verse 2 is a thorough picture of the shepherd's provision for his sheep. The image and the emphasis is on what the shepherd does. Think about these things that our shepherd does. He prepares. He prepares. In other words, the shepherd couldn't just wake up one morning and say, okay, we're going to go over here because there's a little more grass over here than over here, and we just move the sheep a little bit. No, he had to think about where they were going to go. He had to think through all the different places where they were going to go this week or next week or the month after. He had to know that, that if they were going to eat today, they would have to go up on a higher plateau because that's where the better grass was this time of year. Or he had to know when, when it was a different season that they had to go to a different place. He had to think ahead. He had to prepare ahead. And then he had to think about where are we going to find water if, we eat over, if, we, if the sheep eat over here. In other words, there's a picture of preparation that the shepherd... It was, was ready for so that the sheep could survive. Now, let me, let me bring this back to, to where I think it applies to us. So, there, there, we know that if we're going to eat a meal, we have to prepare. We have to plan ahead. We have to go to the grocery store. We have to plan to cook it. All of that kind of stuff. But for most of us, the emphasis here in the text, and how we put it in practice as Christians, is not the physical provision that God has provided for us. I mean, he has, right? I mean, the food we have came from him. The resources we have come from him. The ability to do a job that provides us resources comes from him. All of that is absolutely true. And we ought to thank God every day. That's why we bow our heads and thank God before a meal, because he's the one who provides the means so that we can have a meal. And he does care about all of our needs. But in, in the context of David and his shepherd... Him being a sheep, following his shepherd, I think there's a spiritual picture that, is, that, that we as Christians ought to insist on and ought to apply to our Christian experience. What I mean by that is, God has provided, he's prepared for us to grow spiritually. The emphasis here for us to apply it is to realize that God has worked far in advance to bring about the things we need to be in relationship with him. So think about it this way. In order to prepare a meal, you buy groceries, have to plan to cook it. If you put it in a crock pot, it's got to have time to cook, all that kind of stuff. There's preparation that goes into it. There's more meal imagery coming in the book of Psalms. But I want you to think about the preparation here. The shepherd had to think about where he was going to go weeks in advance, days in advance, know where he was going to eat. Now, now think about this spiritually. Our God calls David to pen these words 3,000 years ago. So for 3,000 years of the history of God's people, God's people have found comfort and consolation and peace and relationship in Psalm 23. So put this in our own context. For 3,000 years, God has been preparing for us at Wilkesboro Baptist Church to think about deeply Psalm 23 too. That's a long time, God in preparation. Not only that, but God prepared far in advance before the foundation of the world to send His Son, Jesus, to die on a cross so that you and I could be forgiven and enter into a relationship with Himself. 
In other words, what we need to see is that the work of the shepherd to prepare an opportunity for you and I to be in relationship with him, that is long-going work. That happened a long time ago, and it's continuing through today. We can see that our shepherd prepares. We can see that our shepherd cultivates. One of the things that that really didn't stand out to me until I studied this text of Scripture is the fact that part of the shepherd's job in the Middle East would have been cultivating the land. It would have been clearing rocks, and it would have been pulling out stumps, and it would have been planting grasses and legumes and other things that the sheep would eventually eat. Now, I'm not a gardener. I didn't like it when my dad did it growing up. I mean, I always liked the fruit of the gardens, right? But I didn't like the work of it. I didn't like picking beans and breaking beans. I've mentioned that before in sermons. But there were some times when we were growing, doing gardens that my dad had me and my brother and my sister out there, and we were clearing rocks out of the soil. I mean, that's just an awful job. Okay, let me just say that. It it doesn't feel like there's anything that comes of it. You're clearing rocks. I mean, the only thing good that can come from it in the moment is to be your brother or your sister with a rock, right? You know, in, in in that time of play. There's nothing. You're just clearing rocks. Clearing rocks so that you can plant some kind of grass or some kind of crop there. I want you to think about this. The shepherd cultivated those lands so that he would know his sheep would have something to eat. Not later that day. Not later that week. Probably not for a season or two. Think about that. The shepherd cultivated lands in order for the sheep to be able to eat next year, the year after, or the year after that. There's a picture of cultivation. And by the way, it's exactly what God our shepherd has done for us. He has orchestrated the events of your life just so that you can enter into a closer relationship with Him. He's allowed you to go through some things that aren't easy. He has pulled the rocks out of your life in some ways that, man, you weren't planning on that, and that was painful, and that wasn't comfortable. He's done all that to bring you to a place where you'll be able to be fed at some point in the future. Our shepherd prepares, our shepherd cultivates Our shepherd encourages us to rest and lie down. He makes it so that we're able to rest and lie down. One of the ways we're going to close up in a few minutes is the the picture of of how insistent we are to fix our own stuff. And, And here's the thing. Sheep won't rest unless they're full, unless they've had a drink, and unless they're not disturbed. If they're disturbed, they'll never lie down and rest. Now, in physical imagery, you know, there's there's a picture of we as humans need rest. You can't go without sleep. That's just not, it's not the way God made us. God made us to rest. He made us dependent on sleep. Nothing wrong with sleeping. There's nothing wrong with sleeping well. In fact, even, even Jesus, when he was in his bodily form, he took naps. There were times he was so tired that he rested. Nothing wrong with rest. In fact, rest is a beautiful picture of trust. Some of us really struggle to rest. I'm not talking about, you can go to sleep, but you struggle to really rest because when you lay down, you lie down to rest, your brain's going 100 miles a minute. All the things you got to do, all the things got to be done, all the stresses that you're carrying, all the worries, all the burdens, all the stuff that's going on, and you wake up, and you wake up stressed because you went to bed stressed. Our shepherd encourages us to lie down in trusting in him. Because he's the one who's prepared, he's the one who's cultivated, he's the one who's made all so that we can have peace and rest in him. And, and yeah, I think there's, a, there's an application 
physically for us to rest. But what he's talking about here is spiritual rest. What, what he's implying, what David's implying is, God's met all my needs so that, guess what? I can lie down and I can actually trust that the needs I think I'm going to have tomorrow, my shepherd already knows them. He's already aware of them. And I can put my trust in him. So our shepherd prepares, he cultivates, he encourages, and he also leads. He leads us to still waters. He leads us to the places where our grazing will take place. He leads us to places of provision. He leads us. Not in the back. I mean, some, there's some shepherding that's done by driving sheep. You can do that. But the good shepherd doesn't drive his sheep. The good shepherd leads his sheep. He's out in front. He's the one taking the first step. He's the one walking through paths that, I'll be honest with you, today's sermon is good news from green pastures. We all want green pastures. I, I, want, I want my whole life to be a life of fullness and a life that's filled and a life that is at peace and a life that is at rest. But even in the psalm, not all the experiences of the sheep are green pastures and still waters. Some of the experiences of the sheep are dark valleys and death's shadow and enemies that are surrounding us. And our shepherd is the one who doesn't push us into those experiences. He leads us into those difficulties or through those difficulties or through those pathways. Why? Because he is the one in front of us. Listen, you can go anywhere if Jesus is taking the lead. You can take any step you need to take if Jesus is the one that's in charge. And in, in the ancient world, the, the sheep knew the voice of the shepherd, so they would hear the voice of the shepherd and follow. Sometimes shepherds would have a little flute and they would play a specific tune. So to, if there were different flocks of sheep gathered at the same watering hole, the sheep that were a part of this flock would hear the notes played by the shepherd and follow the shepherd, their shepherd, the one that they knew they needed to follow. And our shepherd is one who leads. The emphasis here on the text is on the activity of the shepherd. It's on what the shepherd does to bring us into a place of being provided for and bring, being cared for. It's a beautiful picture. It does suggest several applications for us as Christians, and I'm going to offer three of those before we close with a story and, and an invitation. Application number one, we should be humbled. <coughs> Excuse me. We should be humbled by his provisions. Humbled. We sang about how great God is. And he is indeed great. He doesn't need sleep. Aren't you thankful for that? He's not going to bed tonight. He doesn't need rest like we do. He's in control. But man, there's a lot going on in our world. Wars and famines and catastrophes, geopolitical tensions. Not to mention all of the things going on in your life and my life. There's a lot going on in the world. And if we just think about the world from the perspective of all of the things going on, all of those political, geopolitical things, not to mention the fact that God wants people all over the world to hear about the message of the gospel. He does. He wants the spread of his gospel through mission organizations, through churches, through Christians like you and me. He's got a lot going on. If we, if we use this illustration with God, he's got a lot of plates that he's spinning. A lot of things that are on his agenda. And yet, God cares about your needs today. Among all the things that could be on God's mind, as our shepherd, he's providing for you and for me personally, directly, and intimately. 
There is not a thing going on in your life that is too big or too small for you to bring to God. There's not a prayer request you could pray to God that He's not interested in. In fact, the text affirms that because the shepherd is taking the sheep to the places where they're going to eat grass. Is there anything? Is there, is there anything like less important than grass? And yet, he's providing grass for the sheep? He's providing still waters for the sheep? He knows the daily needs and he's anticipating those needs? Folks, this should gloriously humble us that God cares about our needs. It should humble us. It should lead us to worship. It should lead us to praise. I love how Dr. Mike and Dustin, as they're thinking through the text of Scripture that we're dealing with, try to take the songs that we sing and align them with the text of Scripture. What it does is it kind of keeps us all together. So you say, you know, why did we sing this song or why did we sing this way? Well, it, it's because we're trying to keep what we're singing and thinking about in the worship service connected to the, to the framework of Scripture. And so what I would tell you is this. That our God cares about you and cares about your needs should humble us enough to worship Him, and to praise Him and adore Him and to think about Him and to reflect on Him in glory and in praise. So we should be humbled. Here's another thing. We should be encouraged that He knows us. Some of you have some people in your lives that truly know you. They, they know you. They know your, your quirks. They know when you're upset and no one else does. They know when you're joyful and no one else does. They know when you're content. Our God, our shepherd, knows us. He knows our value. He knows our vulnerabilities. He knows what we can bring and, and what will benefit others. He knows our struggles and he knows our weaknesses. That should tremendously encourage us. Why? Because even knowing us, he still invites us to be in relationship with Him. Folks, God knows every strength and weakness you have. He knows your doubts. He knows when you question. He knows your failures. He knows how you blew it and missed it this week. He knows all of that. He knows your struggles. He knows your weaknesses. He knows where you're intentionally disobeying Him and where you just accidentally disobey Him and realize it. He knows all of that. And He still leads you to green pastures. And he still leads you to still waters. And he still invites you into a, a, an ongoing relationship with himself. Folks, we should be encouraged that God knows us. And then in spite of knowing us, because to be honest with you, if you knew me and I knew some of you, really knew some of you, we'd be done with each other. Right? And, and you've been around people like that. I, I've been around some people that I'm done with. You know, I, I've, they've disappointed me enough. They've broken their word enough. I'm not sure I'm going to listen to them anymore. No, God knows me. And he still hasn't left me alone. He still hasn't ignored me. He still hasn't walked away from me. God is gracious and glorious. And even in knowing us, he invites us to continue to follow him. We should be humbled that he, uh, by his provisions, we should be encouraged that he knows us. And here, thirdly, as an application... We should follow his lead and listen to his voice. Uh, this, this past spring, our, our ladies did a Bible study through Psalm 23. And in her book, Jennifer Rothschild puts it this way. She says, sheep have one responsibility. And it's not to find the green pastures and still waters. 
The one and only responsibility of the sheep is to obey their shepherd. Folks, that's our obligation as Christians. Our obligation as Christians is not to find our own provision. It's to follow and listen to our shepherd. Our job is not to fix all our own problems. It is to come in relationship with Jesus near him and close to him and experience his peace and experience his provision. We could put it this way. We need to stop seeking the stuff and seek the shepherd. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. The picture here is that as sheep, we need to be attuned to the voice of our shepherd. We need to seek him and then trust that he knows what all we need. So how do we seek his voice? Say, Pastor, is it really possible? Is it really possible to know the voice of God? To hear him speak? I absolutely think it is, wholeheartedly, without question. Think it is possible for you to hear the voice of God. Without question, if you've become a follower of Jesus, God put his Holy Spirit inside of you, and his Holy Spirit is there to speak, to teach you, to, to, to guide you in all truth. As, as Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, the Holy Spirit is with you. But you know the primary way that we hear God's voice is through the 66 books of the Bible that God's already spoken to us through. 39 Old Testament, 27 New Testament books. Yes, He can guide us internally. His Holy Spirit can lead us and speak to us. Without question, I've been moved and had experiences of God pricking my heart and guiding me in worship services and in quiet times and in, and in other places. But the primary way that God talks to us, that we hear the voice of our shepherd, is through His Word. And I've been around all too many Christians over the years who do not have the experience of Psalm 23 in their lives. They don't feel as if their shepherd is leading them. They don't feel as if they're intimately connected with the, the one God of the universe who rules over all things. And you know why that's the case? Because they have ignored what God said. Listen, the green pastures and the still waters are where the shepherd is. That's where we find provision. That's where we find rest. That's where we find direction. It, it's not, it, if we go on seeking the pastures, seeking the thing itself, seeking the water, seeking the thing itself, we're going to get lost. Sheep are not that smart. Okay? They're, they're just not. And that's the picture. They're, they don't know where to go. They don't know what to do. We go astray. We're going to look at that in a few weeks in Isaiah 53. We get out of line. Our shepherd knows where to go. He's already planned the path. He's already guided our steps. He's already plotted out the course. He's already cultivated the land. He already knows where we're going to need to get a drink of water. He knows all that. If we want provision, we need to be near the shepherd. We need to be in relationship with Jesus. We need to hear his word. We need to open his word. We need to read it. I'll keep saying this over and over again. One of the greatest ways you can hear the shepherd is to open his word every single day of your lives and read what he has to say to you today. I would beg of you to memorize Psalm 23 and meditate on it and reflect on it and think on it because that's where the shepherd is. He is where his voice is. If you want to hear his voice, you want to be near his word. Christian, the invitation for us is to simply follow the lead of Jesus. And when we follow him... We get the promised provision that he find, that he offers to us in Psalm 23, too. Maybe you're here, and, and that's your need. You need the provision of the shepherd. So listen to his voice. Follow his lead. Do what he tells you to do. Maybe you're here, and, and 
that's not your experience. You, you don't have peace or provision. You don't have answers. In fact, you've listened to a lot of this sermon, and you're like, I don't even know what he's talking about. I, I'm, not sure, I'm, not, I, I'm not sure there's any peace or provision available. It, it might be that what you're doing and the reason that there's a disconnect in your life from this text is because you're trying to find your own pastors. You're trying to save your own soul. You're trying to rescue your own self. And, and it doesn't work that way. We need the shepherd to rescue us and redeem us. We can't bring about salvation in our own lives. It's not possible. Watchman Nee, a writer of a bygone era, he reflected on a story, an event that took place in his life as a pastor. He was a pastor and teacher in China, and he and some other of his uh, fellow friends were gathered. They were gathered for an event. They were gathered at a, at a river, and they were enjoying fellowship together, and several decided to go swimming in the, in the river. And there was this one guy who got a little too far out into the river, and he was unable to stand, and he wasn't a good swimmer. And so he was in the water, flailing and trying, to, trying not to drown. And with the course of all those that were there, there was only one man that was there that was a good enough swimmer to effectively rescue the guy that was, that was drowning. And so Watchman Nee and a lot of the other brothers and sisters who were there were screaming out for this man, will you go save him? Will you go rescue him? And the man who could swim and the man who could rescue him just stood there. Didn't do anything. Just waited and watched. They kept calling his name. Will you go rescue this man? Will you go save him? You're the only one that can do it. And he just stood there and watched. He watched until the man started to sink and stopped flailing. As soon as that happened, he jumped in the water. And he grabbed him by the arms and he swam in and he rescued him. When they got to shore, Watchman Nee asked him this question. He said, how could you stand by and watch your brother drown, ignoring his cries for help and prolonging his suffering? But the man said this, if I were to jump in immediately and try to save a drowning man, he would clutch me in panic and pull me under with him. In order to be saved, he must come to the end of himself and cease struggling and cease trying to save himself. Only then can he be helped. Folks, I think there are too many of us that are trying to bring about salvation in our own lives, our own way. We're trying to rescue ourselves. I was talking to somebody this week who spent a lot of time trying to effectively create peace and joy and life in his own way. It doesn't work. It never happened. We won't succeed. But if you will come to the end of yourself and stop trying to rescue your own soul, Jesus is there. He's there to rescue you. He's there to forgive you. He's there to redeem you and bring you into a relationship with himself. If that's you this morning who needs redemption and rescue from Jesus, I would invite you today to talk to me. We're going to give an invitation in a moment. I'd love nothing more than to tell you how you can truly follow Jesus as your Savior and receive his rescue. If you're not comfortable coming forward at the invitation, I'm available after the worship service. Be happy to talk with you about what it means to follow Jesus. Christian, seek the shepherd. Listen to his voice. He will provide all that you need. We just need to be in right relationship with him. Maybe at this invitation, you need to pray. You need to bring a situation before the Lord and trust him with it. If you don't know what else to pray for, anything else to pray for, we all know some people that are in the situation of self-salvation. 
They're trying to rescue themselves through whatever means possible. If you don't know anything else to pray for, here's what I'd like you to do. At our invitation, I'd like you to whisper a prayer for that person that's trying to rescue themselves and pray that the shepherd will seek them, pray that the shepherd will find them, and pray that the shepherd will rescue them. Stand with me, if you will. Father God, Savior, Shepherd, thank you that in your glory and goodness you have prepared and cultivated and led and worked in our lives to bring about our own provision, our need to bring about the food that we need and the, the spiritual life that we need. Thank you for all you've done to bring that about in our lives. Lord, for the one of us or several of us that our experience day by day, week by week, is that of kind of ignoring you and trying to find our own sustenance, our own way, we ask that you forgive us. Pray, Lord, that you would help us to return to your word and return to your voice and to seek you and hear you. Lord, for the one in the room or the many in the room who do not yet know Christ as Savior, maybe they're here today and they've been trying to rescue themselves. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would convict them of their sin Show them their need to trust in Jesus alone for salvation and rescue and forgiveness. And Lord, for those in our relational circles, many of them will think about this week and will pray for. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you and your glory and goodness would seek them out, would draw them to yourself, and would rescue them from sin as only you are able to do. We pray this in Christ's name. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.